Well, good morning. My name is Mark, and I'm uh, in this pulpit on most Sundays and have been since about 2012-ish, I guess. It's my pleasure to do so. Um, we're in Daniel chapter 6. This is our um, seventh or eighth week in the book of Daniel. I've enjoyed it. I hope you have. First time I've really dug into the book of Daniel, other than looking at chapter 3 with uh, fiery uh, furnace and chapter 6 where we are today with the lion's den. But uh, it's been good to be able to see how, especially Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who were POWs, uh, Nebuchadnezzar uh, went and took them as POWs back from Judah and back to Babylon and how they were going to honor God, how they were going to be, in our terminology, be Christians in a foreign land. And so we've entitled this Against the Flow. And so we've seen how God has enabled them, how God has um, uh, blessed them, honored them, uh, gave them the courage, uh, gave them uh, openings to be able to live against the flow. I don't know how that works for you, okay? Uh, I would say, um, I would hope that we all have a sense of that, what that against the flow means. If... if um, if we don't have a sense of that, of living against the flow, uh, sometimes maybe I would wonder uh, how out we are in our faith because I think we are out, if we are out in that faith and especially if we live, like, live and work like most of you do in a secular environment, you will get some pushback uh, on that. And so I, I, I would sense or would hope that you would sense some kind of pushback because I think that means that you are, are out in your faith. I think that means that you're being salt and light where you're needed to be salt uh, and light. Um, during this whole Xenia YMCA mess, I've taken a little bit of a forefront position, a little bit of a leadership position. and. And uh, I've been called a bigot, I've been called a transphobe, I've been said, how can you be a pastor, and da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Uh, you know, that's, you know, very little persecution, that's uh, uh, verbal insults, big deal. Um, but I think if we do take a stand for Jesus in this world, now, 2023, more than ever, we're going to find ourselves going against the flow. And, and... And who knows what the future will hold for our children and for our grandchildren who will choose to go against the flow, what that may mean for them. I can think I can say with certainty that that would mean something different for them than it's meant for us in our lives. Uh, we've been raised in what is understood to be a Christian nation, and we have less and less in that. And I would assume as we go to 2023 and beyond, it will get more and more like that less of a Christian uh, nation. So this against the flow thing is not just something that happened in 6th century BC. It's something that is up to date for us and we can be able to see how it applies to our life. So we come to Daniel chapter 6 and it's, it's the um, uh, chapter that most of you know if you have any kind of Christian upbringing you were probably taught the story of Daniel in the lion's den somewhere along the way as you grew up. A lot of you in here have taught that to your children, read it to your children, taught it in Sunday school, so forth and so on. So when I came to it this week, and I've never preached a message on Daniel 6 in my life. I preached on Daniel 3, but not on Daniel 6. 
I said, Lord, I don't want this to be a Sunday school type message. When we were second and third graders, we learned the story of Daniel's in the lion's den and how Daniel rescues and rescues you when you're in the lion's den, how Daniel shut the lion's mouth as the story said. And so the takeaway from that story is Daniel will rescue you when you're in the lion's den. Well, that's great for a second grader and that's great for a third grader. But as we grow up, we mature in our thinking just a little bit and we have to be honest and be able to say, God does not always rescue from the lion's den. Depending on the statistics you read, and I read them this week, and they differ on anywhere from 3,000 to 5,000 people across the world are Christian martyrs each year. So how can I preach to you as an adult and say, God will rescue you from your lion's den? I certainly can't go to North Korea and preach that at some house church today that is being meeting under locked door. I certainly can't go to Christians in Iran and Iraq and be able to preach that today because there are people that are martyred for their faith. And for whatever reason that we don't know, and we leave this with God, sometimes he shuts the mouths of the lions and sometimes he does not. And if I would preach that any other way, I think I would lose respect from you. If I preached it, in a, and I don't mean to put down a third grade way. It's probably the way it should be preached to children that age. So I go about this week, starting on Monday, as I basically just do, usually on Monday, I kind of read the passage on where I'm going to be on Sunday, just kind of to get it in my spirit a little bit and I knew I just didn't want to preach it in a third grade way. <laughs> and I started talking to the Lord about it. I said, Lord, what is the point of this passage? That's something for me to preach. God may save you from the lion's den. You know, he does sometimes and he doesn't sometimes. So I started talking to him. And Come on, I don't, I don't, didn't hear an audible voice. I didn't see handwriting on the wall as we discussed last week and all of that kind of stuff. But it seemed like in my spirit, I, I, I got led to a, a certain direction. And, and then I was led to that direction. It seemed like, and this is kind of how I know I'm on the right direction. When I get led in that direction, it just kind of, it just kind of comes. So the story of, of Daniel chapter 6, other than the fact that Daniel was saved from the lion's den, is, is that uh, Daniel is kind of been, um, he's one of the chief government officials in um, all of Persia. Babylon, uh, Nebuchadnezzar's reign was ended and Belshazzar came in and Belshazzar's reign was ended and now Darius has come in and so it's under the reign of the Medes and the Persians and Daniel uh, who's probably 75, 80-ish by now, spent almost 70 years probably, maybe not quite that many, as a POW living against the flow in a foreign land. He's risen to one of the top of the government advisors. And the text very plainly says that to us, that there's three people that King Darius has put in control of things, and Daniel is one of them. 
And he was getting ready to elevate Daniel even to the highest place among those three. He was going to be like next in command. Well, the the story very plainly uh, says that the two that he was going to be elevated above were jealous of him. Don't use that word, but it's right there in, in, in in the text. They didn't like the fact that Darius was going to favor Daniel over them too. And so they they went about and trying to find something that they could charge Daniel with and and go squeal on him to King Darius and get him in trouble and thus he wouldn't be put above them. Okay, It's, it's, it's right there in the scripture. That's how this thing starts. It starts with jealousy. It starts with a bit of a bit of persecution, if you would. And so in Daniel chapter 6, verses 4 through 6, is the first scripture I have for you. People that were, I really tried real hard to find a really good uh, definition of this word that keeps coming up in Daniel 6, uh, satraps, but it's nothing more than some type of a government official. So these two that were really upset with Daniel, jealous of him, basically is all that it was, tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct in governmental affairs. So in his job, they tried to find some way that they could uh, charge him and say he's not doing his job, go to Darius and, and, and let what happen what happens, okay? But the text says, but they were unable to do so. The text says they could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. So they tried to find something. They opened all the books. They they investigated his life. They couldn't find anything. Verse 5. Next verse. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. Now, I've tried to stay away with a lot from the way a lot of people attack the book of Daniel, the way a lot of preachers approach it. And that's like dare to be a Daniel because Daniel comes across as a very godly man, as a very, very godly man. And here is one evidence of that. And so when people preach sermon series and title it like dare to be a Daniel, as they're going through the book of Daniel, this is why, because he evidently was a godly man. And I, don't, I just don't like to preach and go out there and just be like Daniel, grit your teeth and be like Daniel. I wanted to preach about God and how, how God was enabling Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego to go against the flow. So that's the way I've come. But it still doesn't take the fact away the fact that this man Daniel seemed to be a very special man. And verse 5 says that. And so I'll just stop right here. And this really doesn't have anything to do with the rest of my message, but I'll just stop right here. What a marvelous thing to be able to say about a 21st century Christian. We will never find any basis for charges against this man or this woman unless it has something to do with that Christian stuff. The Bible tells us, and I can't remember, 1 Corinthians something, he says, um, in word, thought, and deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do all to the glory of God. So whether that mean obviously whether that is spiritual thing or secular thing or I have, I have the luxury that my work is a spiritual work. It's not a secular work. It's been a long time since I've worked 
in a secular job and had a secular boss. Now, you all have that and have some of the challenges that may come with that. But wouldn't it be a marvelous thing to say for, for them to look at your life and say, somebody that's trying to get you, who's trying to turn up some dirt on you, and that's the situation we have, and say, we find no basis. Unless it has to do with that, you know, he's a Christian. Unless it has something to do with his beliefs. What a, what a marvelous testimony that would be for us who claim the name of Christ. As we're in our secular work environments, as we're in the big business world, for people to say things, oh man, he, I, don't, I, don't, you know, I don't know about that Christian stuff, but he sure, sure works his tail off around here. <laughs> I don't know about that Christian stuff. He's got kinda, he believes, you know, believes kind of weird a little bit, but man, I tell you, I wish I had 10 more like him. 10 more like her. What a marvelous testimony that would be. And this is why one of the reasons that pastors go about the book of Daniel and they title it Dare to be a Daniel. So they couldn't find any law in anything to be able to charge this man. Verse six, so the administrators, the satraps went to a group to the king and said, king, <clears throat> and said, may King Darius live forever. And what they basically do and says, we can't find anything, uh, anything about him that's wrong. And so we've got to go to the king and we've got to get him on something else, you know? And so they basically say, King, why don't you make an edict? Why don't you come up with an edict that no one is to pray to anyone except you? Because they knew, they knew that Daniel, as was his custom, the Bible tells us, is that he prayed with his window open toward Jerusalem three times a day. And they must have known Daniel was a godly man. And even though this edict was made, Daniel was still going to do that. And if they did that, then they could find something against him. That's, that's the story we have here. This is why the lines then came about. So Darius, Darius makes, the, uh, makes the command, uh, makes the edict, and basically says that no one should, should do this. And so the government officials, they go and they... They, they, keep, they catch him praying, and they come back, and they tell Darius, and Darius doesn't want to do anything about it because you cannot read this story and, and, and come out with a, with, without believing that Darius really admires Daniel. Daniel. Darius didn't want to do anything about it, but he was caught. He was caught. And so, and so he then throws him to the... Uh, throws him to the lion's den against his own will, and we'll see that a little later. Here, here's what I want to tell you. I, I want to tell you that Darius, there's just no question Dar Daniel is under persecution here for being a Christian. And I want to tell you that Daniel trusted, trusted God in the heat of this persecution. When this persecution was turned up, as, as hot as it possibly could be. He, he trusted God during all of this. In the 23rd chapter of Daniel 6, after the lines were, mouths were shut all night and Darius runs to the lion's den and, and he didn't want his friend to be 
killed. And he says, oh, has your God protected you? And the king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den when he saw that. Darius knew Daniel was a good guy, but he got caught in a trap by these guys. And when Daniel was lifted in front of them, no wound was found on him because he had trusted, because he had trusted in his God. So I'm here to tell you this morning that in the midst of this persecution, and this is what it was, you know, and I knew this was the story, but I don't know if I ever got it that way. This is flat-out persecution. And he trusted God even though people were out to get him. And they were out to get him through the godly way, through something godly he did because they couldn't find anything else. And that he prayed morning, noon, and night with his window open toward Jerusalem. He was persecuted. And so one good thing about memorizing Scripture and one good thing about knowing Scripture is when you you have this thought about persecution, then God brings a lot of other scriptures to your mind simply because you've lived with scripture for a while and you know that it's there. And so he brings 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12 to my mind. Because that Paul very plainly says there, everyone, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Everyone. Now let me say at the very start, Persecution in the Western world is not like persecution in other parts of the world. I know that. Not what I'm saying. Persecution in the United States is not like persecuted, persecution in Iran and Iraq and North Korea and so forth and so on. I know that. I know that. I'm not going there. But the text plainly says, it doesn't say everyone who lives in countries that are opposed to Christianity will suffer persecution. It doesn't say that. It says everyone. It says everyone. We hear a lot about this word today, and I don't know if we even had this phrase 10 years ago. Um, coming out. Coming out. So I'll, let me use it this way. Everyone who comes out as a Christian... Other places, Jesus tells us not to be ashamed. Everyone who comes out as a Christian is public that they're a Christian. Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So I guess my challenge on that passage for all of us is, is are we out enough in our faith? Are we out enough in our faith? And if I'm not out enough in my faith, and this, I have to speak to me about this because I work around Christian people, okay? So, so I'm, I'm out already because I'm a pastor, right? So when, when I have to come out, it has to be in areas that I'm, I'm to say something or do something or be something that I'm not expected to be or I know will go against the grain or whatever, you know, something like that. And so, the, all for us, for all of us, are we out? And I don't know what that means, and I'm not going to tell you what that means. I'm not going to tell you what that means. But I don't know how we can be salt and light as 
Matthew tells us to be without being out some way. I, I, I don't know how that we can be the salt of the earth and the light of the world unless we're out in some ways. And everyone who's out in their faith, living their faith publicly, not being a nut, not trying to get martyred, I'm not, that's not what I'm saying. Not seeking persecution because that somehow makes me godly. I, I heard a story a few years ago about a, uh, a, a Christian man who was... Um, uh, God laid somebody on his heart that he worked with that he should witness to that person and he did that and he, he did that in such a way that uh, it, was, it was a lot it was going on at work a lot and the boss came to the guy and said hey man you know you need to chill on that 8 to 5 okay you know that kind of stuff is that kind of stuff is after hours well the guy didn't do that and the guy continued to witness to this person and, and be kind of almost a little obnoxious with it. And the guy was eventually fired for doing that. And the guy claimed that he was being persecuted for doing that. I, I just claimed that he was, he was kind of being nuts, to be quite honest with you. The Bible says that we're to, to respect authorities above us. And if my boss says that I'm supposed to conduct myself a certain way, I need to do that. Or I need to quit the job. I, I don't, as a Christian, I don't have the right to just stub my nose in his face. So I'm not sure that's persecution at all. There's lots of verses that talk about it, though. First Peter chapter 4, Peter talks about it. Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal, other translations say trials, that come upon you to test you. As though something, I, this is one of my favorite passages of Scripture, as though something strange were happening to you. So friends, when things don't go right in your Christian life, don't think something strange has happened to you. If you're out in your Christian faith and something has happened to you, fiery ordeal, trial, hardship, people insult you, say something evil against you, as we'll see in other passages, don't think something strange has happened to you. And so I, I, I would not be an honest preacher here today to, to speak to anybody under the sound of my voice, whether you're sitting right here or whether you're listening on the internet, to say that if, if you're investigating becoming a Christian and you're coming close to the decision about becoming a Christian, no, please can I tell you that it all won't be wine and roses. Anyone who lives godly in Christ Jesus will not be understood. People may say something, may insult you, say something evil about you. The, the Greek word, the Bible's written in the Greek language. And the Greek word that gets translated persecute here, persecuted here, literally means to chase after. It means to almost like to, to, to hunt down. Dear friends, don't be surprised at any fiery ordeal that has come to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice. Now that's a mouthful. Here's the difference. We don't rejoice because we are being persecuted. We rejoice in the persecution. That's a huge difference. 
Bible says we're supposed to give thanks in all things. It doesn't say we're supposed to give thanks for all things. That would be ludicrous. But in all things, we're to give thanks. And there's a sermon there that I, we could say why you give thanks in all things and why it's different than for. But more than this place, we're, we're supposed to say, hey, count it all joy, man, when you're going through difficult times. This is not the only place in Scripture. But rejoice in so much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed with his when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. Wow. If you are insulted. So here, persecution gets taken to a different level. It's not just, you know, getting martyred for your faith. It's insulted. It's verbal. If you get insulted for your faith... You are blessed. And that that doesn't mean I go out and I look to be insulted. But as the normal course of me living my Christian life, as I am out in my Christian life, if someone says something evil against me or insults me in some way, I am blessed. (laughs) I don't think... I don't think we have any understanding, and I would stand at the first of that line, how that we're participating, as verse 13 says, when we're persecuted, we're participating in the sufferings of Christ. I don't think we get that. I I don't even know how to teach that. That somehow we participate in the sufferings of Christ. So, verse 14 says, if you're insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, now verse 15 says, if you suffer, don't let it be over something stupid. Don't go out and break a law or something and say you're being persecuted. Don't, don't go be a murder, murderer or a thief or a criminal or even meddling in somebody else's business. Now, come on. However, if you suffer as a Christian, if you suffer in the normal, everyday, living your Christian life, if you're out as a Christian, if you're just trying to be salt and if you're trying to be light, you're not trying to be weird, you're not trying to be odd, you're just trying to live for Jesus against the flow. If you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. I'm, I'm, I'm telling you here, I'm seeing this passage in Daniel 6 as a persecution passage, and that's where God led me, and I've never really seen it before in 27 years of trying to seriously study scripture. I I come upon this quote and I don't have anybody to give credit to and that's my fault. I forgot to write the guy's name down. This is not my quote. God's word takes a different perspective of trials and hardships. Christians don't experience them in spite of God's love. Well, I thought you were a Christian. Then why is God letting all this stuff happen to you? Well, I, I thought God was good. Why is he letting all this stuff happen to you? You hear that all the time. In spite of God's love. Rather, it is because of God's love that by hardships, we are privileged to share in the life of our glorious Savior who also suffered. That's what the text says. And I don't know if I know how to teach that and explain to you how that really works or not. But it is, we, we're, we're tested it's part of our maturing in the faith. 
all of you know it's through the difficult times of your life that we grow up, whether we're talking about Christianity or whether we're talking about just plain old growing up. I've said it before as I was a basketball coach, if we won a game in double overtime, we didn't get, we got a lot better than if we won a game by 50 points. It's through the testing that you see what you're made of. And that's what the Bible says about suffering. Matthew, uh, Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 5. He said, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you, and here's some type of persecution. It's not all North Korea type persecution or, or giving your life up for Jesus. It says when people insult you, persecute you falsely, and say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Because of me. Verse 12 says, rejoice and be glad. There's the word again. Remember, rejoicing in, not rejoicing for the difficulty. Rejoicing in the difficulty. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. Wow. You know, none of us, not a single one of us. And I, 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 would, I, would, bear, I, I would vouch to say I don't know if any Christian alive today or has ever been alive truly understands about living eternally. Your great is your reward in heaven. Great, because the, the human thing is to live temporally. It's to live for what we see. Jesus says, if you get persecuted, great is your reward when you die. And we say, well, that's, okay, that's cool, but what about right now? Because that's where we live. Great is your reward when you die. For in the same way they persecute the prophets who were before you. James talks about it. James says in chapter 1, he says, consider it. That means think about it. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish, it work, finish its work so that you may be mature. There it is. So that you may grow up in the faith. So that you may have spiritual maturity. So that you may be mature and complete not lacking anything. Now, it's important, and I never saw this before this week. The testing doesn't make you mature and complete. The trial doesn't make you mature and complete. The enduring the trial makes you, makes you complete. Just because I'm going through a difficult time doesn't mean that I'm going to be... Take, that, that will add up to spiritual maturity before me. But if I endure it, if I, the word, pers persevere under it, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. 1 Peter chapter 2 says, When they hurled insults at him, speaking of Jesus, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. And that brings us to the next thing I want to point out to you, which says, Daniel trusted himself to God's judgment. He trusted himself to God's judgment. Chapter 6, verse 21 and 22, plainly say this. Darius goes, oh, Dan oh Daniel. Basically, he says, did the lions eat you up? And he says, oh, may the king live forever. My God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I, listen, because I was found innocent in his sight 
nor have I done anything wrong before you. During the persecution, Daniel trusted himself to God's judgment. And my mind went right, right to the Sodom and Gomorrah story where Abraham is pleading with Sodom, where God is going to judge Sodom and just basically bring a big fireball down on Sodom. And in Genesis chapter 18, verse 25, Abraham is pleading for Sodom and says, God, far be it for you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous. There's got to be some righteous. Isn't there 25 righteous? Maybe there's five. And that story goes that way. You, you don't treat the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you. Here's a verse that I say to myself a lot. The judge of all the world will do right. When things happen that I don't understand, whether that's personally or just stuff. The judge of all the world will do right. There's been many times in 27 years of ministry that I didn't say something probably as well as I should. I, my, maybe my words were a little sharp. Maybe my body language wasn't good. Maybe my tone of voice wasn't good. I, I, I didn't mean malice. I, I didn't mean harm. I really didn't mean harm. I, but it just for some reason, in my humanity, it did not come out right. There's been lots of situations that just because my humanity, somebody misunderstood and they took it the wrong way. I didn't mean that that way, but they took it the other way. You know what I got, what I do? I say, God, you know I didn't mean any malice on that. The judge of all the world will do right here. You know my heart. You know I didn't mean any malice there. You know I didn't mean any malice there. I, 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 I didn't mean to do anything intentionally wrong. It came out wrong, Lord. Maybe I need to go back and apologize, and I certainly need to do better the next time. But God, you know there was nothing intentional And I entrust myself to the judge of all the world who will do right. What, what, a, what a marvelous verse, Genesis 18, 4, 25. As we live our lives and we don't know why things happen and we don't know how things are going to work out, what a marvelous thing. To, your God is so big that you can say, the judge of all the world will do right. Whatever he decides will be right. I may think this. You may think this. It's out of our hands. You know what? God, whatever he does, it will be right. It will be right. That's happened to me as a pastor. That's happened to me as a pastor many times as I'm getting ready to preach a funeral. Any pastor in this room knows that sometimes there's pressure. Someone has died that may not have been a lot of exhibition of Christianity. Maybe they made some profession of faith in their life. And I, don't, I don't know. I try not to preach them into heaven or I try not to preach them to hell. You know what I say to myself? God, whatever you did here is right. The judge of all the world has already done right with his or her soul. That helps me some. I'm, I'm finishing here by saying, Daniel, during the midst of the persecution, Daniel trusted God to settle the score. 
Now, when we're persecuted, if, if our flesh, our, the natural part of us, the, wants to take retribution against the people that persecuted us, I, I don't know. I don't, I, don't, I don't know if we ever get to a point in our Christian life that we're so godly or so mature in the Christian life that that feeling of retribution may not rise in us. We, may not, we don't have to act on it, but that feeling may rise. We're human. We're human. And it's clear at the end of this story that Daniel trusted God to settle the score. He didn't take revenge against the guys that got him thrown into the lion's den. Verse 24 of chapter 6 says this. So, Daniel saved from the lion's den. And now the king, I don't, I don't like this verse of scripture. Can I say that as a pastor? At the king's command, the men who falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown into the lion's den. I don't have too much trouble with that, I guess. I got trouble with the next phrase. I don't know what to do with the next phrase. I don't like the next phrase. I don't... Any of you all don't like the next phrase? I, 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 I try to remember that 6th century B.C. was a barbaric civilization. No matter what happens in 2023, we are a much more civilized people than they were back in 6th century B.C. So I don't like what verse 24 says. So not only the, acu- not only the ones who falsely accused, but their wives and children. But that's what we come, and I can't skip it. And I think it's fascinating what God encloses right after that. Because let's say God didn't enclose this next last sentence in verse 24. Somebody could say, well, you know, you know when you, what we've learned about lions is they eat about once every three or four days. So they probably already ate, and they weren't hungry. And God takes one sentence of scripture to say that ain't the way it was (laughs) because when these people were thrown in even before they reached the floor the lions did what lions do we're reminded of what Paul wrote in Romans chapter 12 he says do not take revenge my dear friends is there any more practical is there any more practical verse of scripture for us who try to live the Christian life? And Paul says, you know what? You know what's strange about Christians? You know why Christians are different? We should not take revenge. I'm not sure what the next phrase means, but leave room for God's wrath. I know what kind of what my I don't feel very Christian by saying this to be quite honest with you but almost to me I don't know any other way to interpret it but I don't feel real Christian when I say leave room for God's wrath almost means well if you want to get back at somebody do you want you want God to do it or do you want to do it who's going to get back in a bigger way (laughs) now I don't feel very Christian by saying that but what else could that mean leave room for God's wrath so 
when Mark doesn't leave room for God's wrath, when Mark takes human revenge, God says, well, I'm not going to intervene because Mark already did his thing there. Could that what that mean? Because that what that means? Mark already did his thing. Mark didn't trust me on that. Mark did his thing. So, the, okay. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. <laughs> I will repay. That's a trust issue. We, we've said all through this thing, David trusted God during the, during the persecution. He trusted God will judge properly, and he trusted God to settle the score. And the text clearly says, it is mine to avenge. How should you Christians be different people? You don't avenge. You trust me. And the difficult part of this, the difficult, Daniel kind of saw the avenging angel right there as the, as the accusers were thrown in. Daniel kind of saw that right there. You know, tough thing for us on, 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 on waiting for God to avenge is we won't see it a lot of times. We won't see it. You know what? The human fleshly parts of it, can I just be an honest preacher? We want to see it. And God says, Mark, you put down that part of you. You put on the new self. You put on the new self, Mark. And you don't take revenge. Uh, don't take revenge and you trust God who says, I will repay in his way and in his time. Well, if we ever need the grace of God, it's in holding back that fleshly desire to get back. It's real. It's real. Let's, let's not be all pious here and think it's not real. It's real. And I need the power and grace of God to help me trust him. Not to avenge, but leave room for God to take action and that's why we come to the table there's a lot of reasons we come to the table but the old song said there's power in the blood of jesus christ and i believe that power is to be able to to put off the old self and to put on the new self the old self wants to take revenge the old self wants to get back at him and see it done the new self trust god and if god wants to do it it'll happen and Bottom line is, the judge of all the world will do right. Our servers are coming to the table. And as they do, we, we remember a lot of things about the blood of Jesus Christ. But it is a power for us to do supernatural things, to, not to be able just to to live naturally, not to be able just to, to live just like everybody else. God tells us, God tells us to wait on him and allow supernatural things to happen. Trust in him and we put off that old self. So I don't know where you are this morning, what you're living with, and I don't know where this story hits you. I really don't. I just taught it the way I think God wanted me to teach it today. And trust him that in some way he spoke to you, okay?
And so we'll open the tables, we'll open the altars, and we'll let God deal with us in these next few minutes, okay?